Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and a happy new year. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is great to be back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the first show of 2021 and it is going to be a belter. Welcome to a brand new year filled with hope. Filled with hilarity, filled with heroism. Welcome to a brand new year free of the shackles of the European Union. And welcome to a world where if we keep up the hard work, this government will finally see sense and change course on their treatment of this coronavirus. You may have noticed that I've got my Union Jack tie on to celebrate the first show since Brexit got done. And I'd just like to register my thanks now to all the people who made it happen. Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party, Boris Johnson and the Tory government. All the people here at Talk Radio who campaigned for including, of course, Julie Hartley Brewer. But most of all, to all... All of you out there who actually voted to leave. Finally, the will of the people has been carried out. Now let's get on with making it a success. I'd love to hear from you all today uh, as we celebrate that and contemplate what looks like a pretty grim January in the bleak midwinter of our discontent. 0344 499 1000 this morning. I also want to address some of the stuff that's been going on since I was last on the air before Christmas. Yes, we have left the EU, but the coronavirus strategy seems to have gone from bad to worse. The festive period we were promised was cancelled. A new variant has been discovered, apparently, but nobody seems to know too much about it. Schools have been closed, and now there are more calls for yet further lockdowns, not least from Captain Hindsight. Yes, that's right, our very own Mr. Forensic, Sir Keir Starmer. What exactly does he think we are in now? You can't see your friends. Many people didn't see their families over the Christmas period. There's barely anything open, and you can't go anywhere. And guess what? If you need more lockdowns, presumably this one isn't working. We'll be checking in with Mail on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens to get the latest from him on what he thinks of what's going on. And I think we all know uh, what he's going to be saying. 0344 First up, though, we're talking to Pauline Latham, Conservative MP uh, for Mid-Derbyshire, on how she thinks the Prime Minister is doing and whether she thinks it's time to reopen the pubs or at least look at doing something other than just shutting everything all the time constantly. And we'll be checking up uh, on what Angela Levin's got to say on the latest guff from the Duke and Duchess of Netflix, of course, Meghan and Harry. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, the home of common sense. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to welcome the first guest of the new year, uh, a woman we've spoken to many times before, Pauline Latham, Conservative MP for Mid-Derbyshire. A very happy new year to you, Pauline. Welcome. And a happy new year to you too. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, we've got so much to discuss, I barely know where to begin really. But first of all, um, how are things in mid-Derbyshire? How are things uh, with you? How was your Christmas? Um, And what are you feeling about how it's going to be this month? 
Well, Christmas wasn't as it would normally be, but it was good. Um, I've had a good break over Christmas and New Year. We've got lots of lovely sunshine today. It's cold, but it is sunny. And I can deal with the cold it's the, and sunny. I can't bear the grey, drab days. So mm. as long as it stays like this, I'm quite happy. Yes, that's very good. Now, a few things have happened, obviously, since uh, we last spoke. We've left the European Union, which I think we shouldn't just pass over because it was a big surprise link to a lot of people on Christmas Eve uh, to get that deal over the line. Uh, and it seems to have gone well. Things seem to have uh, not fallen off the edge of a cliff. You know, we haven't lost any food. We haven't been looking for medicine that we don't have. You know, it all seems to have gone quite smoothly. Yes, I'm really pleased about that. We had the hiccup before Christmas, but that was nothing to do with Brexit. That was to do with Macron mm. and him wanting everybody tested before they went over. So uh, we had a, a lot of lorries in one place, but they expected that to happen with Brexit. So at least some plans were in place. Well, they it was actually quite better handy. Executed. Yeah, mm. it was It was because it, it showed what might happen. But it hasn't happened, and I think that's a good sign. Yes, I think so. And as far as the um, uh, the sort of the, the future of trading goes, we keep seeing still dire warnings from people at the BBC and Sky News telling us about how it's all going to get worse, um, and we haven't really seen anything yet because we're not really properly into January. I mean, when are they going to actually get the message that this has happened and start being a bit positive about it instead of looking for reasons <laughs> to say how terrible it's going to be? I don't see any positivity coming out of the BBC for some time to come. It'll only be when we have a record year on something, mm. something positive that they might actually crack a smile and say, yes, it's worked. Yes, exactly right. And as far as Westminster goes, you're back in sort of next week, I believe. So no yes. Prime Minister's questions this week. Um, what are you making of Sir Keir Starmer's call yesterday for a further lockdown? I mean, I thought we were already in a lockdown. I'm not quite sure what else he can lock down. Well, there's one or two tier threes that we could lock down, but there's not many people compared with those of us in tier four or worse. Um, there is very little more that we can do about this. Um, and the vaccine, keep, the, the virus keeps going. What we have to do is get this vaccine out as fast as we can in all areas of the country to make sure that the most vulnerable and the people who are filling the hospitals, the elderly and vulnerable, are safe and, and give it to them first and work their way down. But it has to happen fast. I mean, obviously, schools are at the forefront of the arguments today because mm. some schools apparently are taking it upon themselves not to open, despite the fact that Boris Johnson said yesterday that, that schools are safe, particularly primary schools. Um, would it not make sense to vaccinate the teachers in all of these schools before perhaps, you know, the next lot of people? Well, it isn't actually about the teachers. What they're saying is that the children come in, some of whom have uh, COVID, but symptomless, particularly in primary schools where they're not really ill. They spread it to others and then it goes out into the community. Yeah. So it isn't so much about teachers, but they can wear PPE if they need to. That's what happens with the medical profession. They're at the front line. Unfortunately, some of the schools have decided not to even open for key workers, which is actually putting the National Health yeah. Service at more risk than normal. Well, exactly. But, I mean, you say it's not about the teachers, but the teachers who want to stop going to school because they say it's too dangerous say that it is about the teachers because they don't want to catch COVID. So surely if you could convince the government to have to roll out this policy and this vaccine for the teachers, they would have no excuse but to not, but not to go in. 
well, maybe some of the elderly teachers, but not the vast majority, because the vast majority are not likely to be very ill. And it isn't really about the teachers. It's about the teaching unions mm. who really don't want to worry about education for our children. And they should be worrying about that because the children are missing out phenomenally and have done for a year nearly. And they need to be back in education. They're safer in the education setting from all sorts of reasons, not just COVID. Mm. And I think we've got to educate our young people. We can't do it all online. Well, of course we can't. I mean, I've got a message this morning, a, a tweet uh, from a listener who's basically saying that, you know, how is it possible that some schools are offering online learning when others are not, basically, because she's saying that she's working from home. She says this, it's her name's Liz. I wonder if you could find out why my daughter's school have decided the teachers don't need to do online learning. They have given them YouTube tutorials instead to teach themselves. But it's hard for me because I'm also working at home on phones and I can't teach her because I'm very busy. I know it's really hard for people, particularly if you've got both parents or if you're a single parent, one parent trying to work full time and homeschool children. It just doesn't really work that well um, because it puts huge pressure on the whole family, mm. because particularly if you've got to, I mean, my youngest son and his wife both work full time. They have two primary school children. They have to do a shift system starting at seven in the morning. One of them works till one in the afternoon, then they swap over. But one of them is either homeschooling or entertaining the children by taking them outside. And it's worked fine for them because they are uh, bright young children who want to learn. But it doesn't work for those poorer young children mm. who don't have the support of their parents. And that's where the biggest problem is. And I think teachers um, need to think about those and especially the teachers unions, because they're the ones that are persuading teachers to write into their MPs, their councillors, their local authority to say we're not going in. And they really should be thinking about the future of this country, which is their pupils. Yes, exactly right. And the trouble is, it seems as though at the moment the government doesn't have control of the situation in the sense that many local councils appear to be doing what they want and doing their own thing. Teachers themselves and schools and teachers unions, as you say, are deciding amongst themselves whether it's safe or not. You know, I mean, if we all took that view, um, then we could all decide it's actually perfectly safe to go out, no matter what the government does. Uh, if you took the opposite view, what would happen then? Well, it will be chaos. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult enough as it is with this new variant. We need to get on top of it. We do need people who should be staying at home to stay at home, but we do need children to be in school. We need people to work as much as they can because we can't forget COVID is affecting the economy hugely and we need people to be working. So we've got to try and facilitate that as much as possible. And the risk of young people in schools it's different in secondary schools, particularly as they get older. But in primary schools, there is no reason, as far as I can see, that they shouldn't be open and and doing the job that they're supposed to be doing and looking after young people and educating them. And also allowing their parents to go about their work work business, yes. or whatever it is that they need to be doing. Because you said back in mid-December, I don't know whether you still stand by it, that you want pubs to reopen. Um, because we can't continue, surely, with this, Pauline, uh, complete shutdown of society okay. where um, you know nobody can do anything, nobody can go anywhere. And let's face it, lots of people can't make any money. No, and there's an awful lot of people going to be unemployed after this next lockdown. I, I actually do feel that we should be allowing some movement where they've got the safety 
um, precautions in place. Lots of, as I said in December, lots and lots of hospitality businesses have spent thousands mm. making themselves COVID safe, but they've not been open since they did that. And they haven't all had compensation for that. And there's places like wet pubs where they don't necessarily do meals and small microbreweries mm. who can't sell to those pubs. It's making life very difficult for people who want to earn an honest living and want to get on with their lives. Mm. And I don't know whether you saw Boris Johnson being interviewed by Andrew Marr on Sunday morning, but he seemed like a man who wanted to do something other than what he's doing. He looked like a guy who was very much in the grip of of the scientists, if you like. And even he admitted that they're not all in agreement about absolutely everything. There is no one scientific view on the way out of this. Because, you know, you have to say every single promise that's been made by these scientists has turned out not to be true. And so the government has been led by these people. We're in this lockdown situation, which may get worse, despite the fact that this particular lockdown and the last one in November didn't seem to have any effect. No, it didn't. And we do. I think people's mental health means we need to get out a bit more. We need to talk to people. We need to see people. I mean, we've hardly seen our family for a year and every other family is like that Mm. unless people live locally. I mean, I don't have family live locally, but those that do, maybe they've seen them a bit more. But it is very tough on many people who need the support and friendship of their families never mind seeing not seeing grandchildren i've got five and i've hardly seen them in this last year right. and that's tragic it really is and also can we stop these um, rather what can only be described as politically motivated statements from the nhs about beds yeah. and about icu wards we had one on radio five live disgracefully a woman who claimed to be a matron who's a left-wing activist saying that there was covid wards full of children turned out to be a complete lie uh, completely and utterly um uh, put into the dustbin of history by by the pediatric association uh, i'm looking at a series of uh, nhs england figures here from the sunday times this week about bed occupancy in, uh, in ICU units and less than say half the beds beds in um, in hospitals around the country are occupied in lots of different areas it's not true to say that every single NHS area is full no I mean there are differences throughout the country and that's I guess why we're seeing people being moved across the country to go into ICU I think London is the biggest problem and unfortunately most of the politicians in the cabinet are London centric. So they they don't come out into the country as much as the rest of us. I mean, I'm in Derbyshire, it's Mm. my home, it's my constituency. So I see what's happening locally. And I think we need to really get a grip on the whole situation. It's not just listening to the medics. We Mm. need to think about how this country can go forward. After all, Germany and other countries are still managing to run their businesses quite successfully compared with some of ours. Yes, and I seem to remember all the Way back to the beginning of this pandemic uh, back in March when it was said that almost every country will probably end up with a similar kind of death rate with a similar sort of infection rate and that is kind of proving to be the case most mm. places uh, are pretty much um, going in the same direction as you say the only difference between countries is which ones are actually still able to make money my daughter lives in Dubai which is now basically open you have to wear a yeah. mask when you walk around you have to wear masks when you go into restaurants but the restaurants are open and when you sit down at the table you don't have to wear a mask you know it's possible to run businesses it's possible to have an economy 
Yes, I mean, we went to Spain last summer during that short period where you were able to go out, and that was exactly the same case there. Right. Sadly, their, um, their rates rocketed, and therefore they clamped down, and, and now it's very strict because mm. I have a brother living over there, and he's he, they're not allowed out, and the police take them back. Yeah, but so does that work? it's does much that work? stricter. But does it work, no. though? It doesn't, does it? No, it hasn't done. No, and I mean, that's the problem with it. I think we've got to accept we have to live with this virus, but... We have the vaccine now, which can stop us having to worry quite so much. And if we can get that rolled out and allow the doctors and nurses who want to help, and I've got some in my constituency, it's just too complicated at the moment. We've got to stop them having to worry about fire, fire alarms and safeguarding and radicalisation, which is what's on the list of things that they're supposed to have trained for, yes. even though they're retired. They need to go back in there and they'll be supervised they're not going to be left on their own so so long as they're supervised and you've got somebody who's done all those things we can then get those vaccines out and that's the most important and i have to say i'm looking forward to getting mine yes i'm sure uh what we might need in downing street is some people to go in and radicalize the, the tory party and remind <laughs> them they're actually tories rather than what they some of them seem to have turned into well, I think the problem is that um, Boris Johnson came in wanting to do Brexit and get on with running the economy. Unfortunately, this sort of came at sideswipe and he's had to deal with that. And it's not something anybody wanted to deal with. But yes, we need to get on with it. I mean, if we have a further lockdown, I think you'll find that Parliament isn't recalled. Or if we are recalled, it will have already happened. Mm. And we'll just be voting on something that's happened and I, you know i don't agree with that at all no. and it's something that happened before christmas and i think it's going to happen again well let's hope you're wrong pauline i suspect you're yes. not though i think you're probably right thank you as ever for talking to us pauline latham a conservative mp for mid derbyshire talking an awful lot of sense there about what the government needs to do because let's face it we're back here we're in a new year but we're still in a kind of old situation where basically the government is continuing to follow the advice of the likes of neil Fer Ferguson, you know, Professor Pantsdown, the man who even he did not agree with his own uh, restrictions and decided it was OK for him uh, to go gallivanting around with a woman that wasn't his wife, uh, but happened to be married to somebody else. I'm not willing for the rest of this year to put up with this kind of nonsense from this government just because they think that a further lockdown is going to be helpful. Well, let's face it. We had the first lockdown. We had the second lockdown. We had the tier system. We had a further lockdown in November. Then we had another tier system. We were going to have Christmas. We didn't have Christmas, so we decided to have more lockdown. We're going to have more lockdown and more lockdown and more lockdown because lockdown doesn't work. Genius. Brilliant. Well done. Congratulations. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'll tell you what, it's great to be back talking common sense to people who understand common sense instead of this ridiculous woke... I mean, I have to tell you, the number of times over the course of Christmas and New Year, I'd put the news on and just have to switch it off because it was so relentlessly, hideously negative, boring, ghastly and lefty. I mean, how on earth Radio 5 Live's got away uh, with putting a woman on the air who told blatant lies about children in COVID wards in hospitals all over London and was then corrected uh, by the Paediatric Association? Uh, I haven't heard yet whether uh, they're going to retract that. I haven't heard yet whether she's going to lose her job over it. I haven't heard yet whether there's going to be any kind of apology made. I mean, quite baffling as to the way these people behave. And Andrew Marr interviewing Boris Johnson on Sunday 
absolutely disgraceful. I mean, if anybody wanted to defund the BBC uh, and didn't think about it before then, surely that will now be the case. And I'm delighted uh, to be able to be joined now by Calvin Robinson, education consultant, former assistant principal, and of course, a man who would also like to defund the BBC. Calvin, a very good uh, morning to you. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Mike. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. It's great to be back because I'm afraid, um, having taken a bit of time off, I've allowed the, uh, uh, the unleashed left to get the hold of the uh, of the mainstream media once more uh, but we of course have been holding the fort here and holding the line at talk radio but now we're back uh, punching uh, above our weight as ever um, let's talk a little bit about first of all brexit because i think it's magnificent that we got there uh, i'm very happy with boris johnson about that not so happy about other things but it's a great moment to celebrate isn't it it is a great moment and we should celebrate because we have very few of these uh, positive moments at the moment don't we i think he got it done. We elected him to get Brexit done. That's what he did. Everything else has happened since because of Corona and lockdown and all that. Uh, we can hold that against him. But at least he got Brexit done. And everyone else tried to stop it. For four years, they tried to stop it, Mike. And they really did. And, and you know, you could see the sort of bafflement and disappointment in the voices of those characters who were commentating over the course of Christmas and New Year uh, when they saw that actually there wasn't apparently any problem at Dover. There didn't seem to be uh, any issues with uh, food running out. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I didn't run out of food. In fact, I wish I did run out of food over Christmas. I ate far too much, drank far too much. Um, you know, the medicine seems to medicine cabinet seems to be OK as well. But this is the thing, isn't it? They want bad news because they want to be proven right. They don't want our country to succeed. That's the saddest thing about all this, I think. Mm, it really is. Let's talk about uh, the, the teaching unions now, because they're the next uh, battleground for us, I'm afraid, Calvin, to bring some common sense to it. Um, yeah. All the medical evidence would suggest um, that children are not in danger from this, despite what some of these liars have said to the BBC. Um, all the suggestions that teachers are in danger somehow uh, of going to a school, but not in danger of going to a supermarket. You know, most teachers want to be in school teaching their kids. Well, this is the thing. Is what You know, you and I have been the only ones fighting this since the beginning, since the first lockdown, saying that schools must remain open uh, because, A, it's the safest place for kids. You know, and we're not just talking about the risk of coronavirus here. We're talking about neglect, abuse, exploitation, all of the things that kids are protected from while they're in school and while they're at home uh, in lockdown, they're not. Uh, so that's that, we've been arguing for that from the beginning. But the unions are... Oh. So now in London, all London primary schools are closed for at least two weeks, at least, I say, because I reckon it will go on until February yeah. or half term. And now they're arguing for the same across the country, too. They don't want kids in schools. These people are supposed to be protecting children, protecting teachers, but they're not. They're, again, they're being activists. And it's the same argument every single time, no matter what stance the government take. The NEU, the National Education Union, go against them. Yeah. Well, somebody sent me a tweet a few days ago saying, you know, one day these teaching unions will have given up teaching altogether uh, and they'll just become full time activists because they don't seem to want to teach yeah, anybody. Uh, they seem to. And not only do they not want the kids to come to the school, some of them don't even want to give them any home learning either, saying, oh, well, you know, we can't do that because that's risky for the teachers. And the home learning doesn't work. We've talked about this before, but, you know, not all kids have access to remote learning. Not all kids have a computer at home. And if they do, sometimes they have to share it with siblings mm. or their parents are working from home or they don't have Internet. Uh, so what are those kids going to do? The disadvantaged children are, are the ones who are missing out the most. Right. We worked so hard to close that gap in this country, that social divide. And now it's being 
ripped open because of coronavirus and these lockdown measures that just don't work and don't make any sense. No. And what about these different councils who seem to be taking laws into their own hands and saying, well, we've decided that in our area it's dangerous so the schools are all going to be shut. I mean, surely the government should have the power to override that, shouldn't they? I think, to be honest, the government's probably got too much power at the moment. But these councils are playing politics, as they always do. You'll find most of these councils are Labour councils that are, are again, going against government advice. Uh, which Either schools are safe or they're not. And I think schools are the safest place. We do risk assessments every day we open school. Um, we, the unions are saying, prove that you're safe. And we can't prove that we're safe, but you can prove that we're going to mitigate the risks as much as possible um, is, is difficult to prove a negative. Listen, you send, uh, now, you send, I send my children to school uh, every day. Um, there's a chance that something could happen to them while they're there. They could get into right. a fight. They could have an accident. You know, they could fall over. Um, they could get, I mean, you know, in my, my son's school down in Sussex, one of the kids came out at the end of school one day, got run over uh, outside the school. You know, stuff happens. You don't go, don't go to school in case you get run over. Exactly. We're withholding education. And education is the biggest tool we have for social mobility in this country. It's not fair. It's not right to withhold it. And now we're going even further. We're saying kids from year seven and above have to wear face masks in school. Right. When we know that face masks are practically ineffective, but on a child who's going to be fidgeting with them, flicking them, touching them, making them even more effective by spreading germs... Uh, it's going to be affected. Well, one of the things that has been said about wearing masks is that it gives people a false sense of security. Um, right. And also, if right. you do touch it an awful lot, it tends to negate whatever good it might do. <laughs> one of my children goes to a school where uh, when they're there, they have to put a mask on every time they go into a corridor. That means they're putting it on and taking it off about seven to eight times a day. Right. Mingling with people yeah. uh, in their own classroom, which is apparently fine. But in a corridor where they're moving, it's not fine. There's no logic to it. There is no logic to it. It's all power play. It's all uh, perception, isn't it? And and behaviour in the classroom in this country is bad enough as it is. Can you imagine having a row of 30 kids where you can't see their faces, can't see who's backchatting, who's talking, who's chewing gum, uh, who's misbehaving? That is that's not a good learning environment for anyone. Then again, they're probably not going to be in schools if unions get their way anyway. So all of this is pointless. It really is. So, I mean, how do you think this is all going to end, Calvin? Because there's going to have to be, I think, some kind of uh, a standoff, isn't there, between Gavin Williamson, who, to be fair to him, has tried uh, to prevent local councils from, from sort of acting on their own, but seems to always face a U-turn from Boris. Um, there's going to have to be some kind of reckoning here, isn't there? I think the government just have to stand strong. There have been so many U-turns at this point, they must be dizzy as hell, because I don't know which way they're facing. It's ridiculous. Make a decision based on the science and children's education and stick with it and don't capitulate to the uh, militant unions. It's as yeah. simple as that. Really. It really is. I mean, and your feeling you, you, you think is that we're going to see this running all the way through to half term in February. Yeah. I don't think kids in London schools will be back until at least half term. And I think that's going to spread to the rest of the nation too, because the unions are really pushing for it. And like I said, government keep you turning. No one's strong enough to stand up and say, no, these kids need an education. They deserve an education. Right. We're going to give them one. Right. And Kevin O'Sullivan made a very good point over the weekend. He was saying that, you know, it's almost as though we're pretending that the kids are getting educated. You know, we're cancelling exams. We're giving them grades. We're giving, we're rewarding them, you know, um, sort of, good things without them having really had to prove that they could do anything. And I can't believe that that's a good way to raise children. Well, it's not, is it? If we give them a made-up grade, it's just a number. We're assigning a number to a child that means absolutely nothing. It doesn't help employers, doesn't help universities, doesn't help the child. And they, they don't have the knowledge to back it up. So that how, what's going to happen in like 10 years when all these young people are fully grown adults who are yeah. supposed to be contributing to society? 
Well, well exactly right. Can you imagine when they get their first challenge at work and they go, well, can't you just pretend that I did that and give me a pay raise? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, COVID generation. I mean, unbelievable. Calvin, listen, best of luck to you. Thank you very much indeed. Calvin Robinson, education consultant, former assistant principal, of course, and a man uh, who knows a thing or two uh, about education. I don't believe anyone could sit there unless you happen to be the head of a teaching union and thinks a great idea not to educate people. You're teachers. It's your job. Get on with it. This is Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very good morning and a very happy new year to Peter Hitchens. Peter, welcome back. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much indeed. I know you were able to continue your conversations while I was away, but um, I must admit it's the longest I've been off uh, work without actually going anywhere. I mean, I had a very pleasant time with my family um, and uh, I'm very pleased to be back, I'd have to say. And and you must be pleased uh, to start the show off uh, this morning with the news from Julian Assange's uh, Old Bailey case. Yes, I'm very pleased. Uh, I'm quite surprised to hear it because I, I feared the, the other result would come and there would then be uh, months, maybe years, of attempts to keep him from being dragged off. Mm. It, it is a great victory for the freedom of the press and a great blow against those who seek to use uh, claims of national security uh, to attack the freedom of the press. I also have to say, at this moment, now that all this has come to fruition and Julian Assange is not to be extradited, that I remain extremely shocked by how few members of our trade actually came out in his support. How silly they all look now. Mm. They didn't have the nerve to come out and say what an old Bailey judge has managed to say. And when old Bailey judges are more, are more liberal and in favour of freedom of the press than journalists, then you know you're in trouble. That's a, a very interesting point, because I think, I mean, you're very... Um, 
uh, I would say, a solitary figure on much of this stuff because so much of our political world and our political life now is driven by what you like and what you agree with. And you, I think, alone are very principled in this and always have been. You've been very clear that you don't like Assange very much. He's not a very likeable character, but that doesn't enter into it. Well, quite. I, I should uh, here mention that uh, Alan Rusbridger, who's the editor of The Guardian at the time this happened, did come out very clearly on the, the uh, on another station, which I shan't name this morning, uh, saying that uh, he, he thought that the extradition should not go ahead. And The Guardian quite belatedly did come out, uh, which is quite important since it was the paper which, which published so much of Julian Assange's mm. work in this country, and did say... but. The numbers of people, and I, I did communicate privately with prominent figures whom I know who I thought might be interested in this and say, can you not say something? And I didn't even get a response. Uh, I, I think people may have been afraid. Uh, it, there's a lot of fear about it at the moment of saying anything out of line. And it, it's the, the, the corona crisis has had that general effect that it, it's made freedom of speech generally harder and fear stronger. So that may be it. But I still say... If you if you can be out uh, if you can be out liberal uh, if you can be out freedomed hmm. uh, by an old Bailey judge then frankly you should look to your credentials as a journalist. Yes. Uh, and, and congratulations to the judge on taking what seems to me to be the right decision in law as well as the right decision on principle. And and I don't know whether you can answer this um, legally, but would this likely be the end of this then, or will do you expect the Americans I, to honestly, feel? I, it's only just come through. I don't know any of the details. I, I, I'd rather not. I so very much hope so. Mm. And apart from anything else, the, the, the Julian Assange has been kept in uh, quite appalling conditions, in my view, in, in, in Belmarsh Prison for some time, and he's been separated from his, his, his children for, for far too long, and I would very much like to see the, the family re reunited out of simple humanity. Yes. So I, I so hope that, that that bit of it is over for certain. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, I was interested in your column, as I always am, on a Sunday in the mail on Sunday yesterday, uh, not least in the piece you wrote um, about the uh, shortage of beds in the NHS and the crisis in the NHS, uh, which turned out to be a piece that you were quoting from, uh, from not this year, but another year. And also looking back over the course of the last... I mean, for as long as I can remember, really, ever since I've been in journalism, there's always been a crisis in the NHS every winter. Well, I could read. I mean, I can. I, 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 the great advantage of newspaper journalism is we have access to the past. It's, uh, for everyone else, it's been like 1984, the past has been abolished. Yeah. Here, listen to this. This week it emerged that the NHS is facing the most intense strain on its resources in decades. And in Portsmouth yesterday, a hospital said it would investigate after an 88-year-old woman died following a seven-hour wait for a bed. And where's that from? The Guardian, the 6th of January, 2018. Uh, and then I have from, um, from I, I think, the Daily Mirror of the same period, a Labour MP has released pictures of hospital patients lying on the floor as they wait to be treated. Uh, these, these things happen with appalling frequency, not quite every year, but in many years. And the pretense that what we face this year is, is, is exceptional seems to me to be, uh, to be dangerous. There is one big difference between this year and others, which is important which is that because of the, the fear and panic over COVID-19, quite large numbers of NHS staff uh, are not able to come in because it would break the, the, the COVID rules for them to do so. So the number of staff is significantly reduced. This may also be the reason why the, the much-trumpeted Nightingale hospitals have never really swung into operation because they don't have the staff yeah. to keep going. But I, it, 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 it's, not, it's a, it's a self-constructed crisis. Uh, it's it's worse than others, not because uh, not not because it's physically worse, but because it's 
it's technically and politically worse. And I think it, simply getting this into proportion is part of the job of my trade. It's very easy to do. All you need to do is look it up. It took me uh, about uh, a minute and a half uh, to find the, the cuttings which I just read from and the one I quoted from in the paper on Sunday. And why don't other people do it? It's, it's all there. And why don't they draw conclusions from it? Because they don't want to. And here again, we have, now we have actually reached the point. Third lockdown feared. Uh, we now have actually reached the point where I can say uh, that doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, is a sign of madness. And we are now, our government is now doing this with the fervent support and indeed um, uh, uh, not just support, but sort of manic uh, desire of the leader of the so-called opposition. Mm. And yet you look back over the past months, all the way back to March, we've had two of these things and, and, and half another one, really, since the, the, the latest uh, teenage ninja mutant virus took hold. And what's happened? Uh, we keep having crises. Yeah. Uh, the, the well, this is it. The gold keeps spreading. So, so, so doesn't anybody say ever at any point, look, this hasn't worked. Why don't we try... Something else. Something else. And interestingly, uh, you and I get castigated for suggesting that there could be another answer. Not because we deny the existence of COVID, not because we think there's any danger uh, that it's a hoax, not because we don't believe that people are getting sick, and not because we don't believe that people are dying, because they are. But what they don't tell us is more interesting than what they do tell us. For example, the Sunday Express this week in, uh, put a Freedom of Information request into NHS England, who then revealed that there are 13,000 fewer beds uh, in this country in our hospitals than there were last year because they've made them socially distanced, right? So they've, when they say that the, the, the hospitals are filling up and the beds are filling up, it's because there are fewer of them. Yeah, that is a very, it's a very good piece of, of, of journalism uh, uh, for which the reporter involved deserves a, a lot of credit. And it's absolutely right. Again, and, and the, uh, just as with the, the shortage of staff created by the, uh, the, the, the virtual prohibition on anybody who's even suspected of having the disease going near a, a hospital, uh, the, the widening of the gaps between the beds has made life more difficult. In general, it is true that over the past 20 years, governments of both political colours have cut the numbers of beds. Uh, and it, it, it has to be remembered, this is contributing to this. But we can't blame that on COVID. And, and nor, nor should we do so. I, the, the problem with being, I, I, I'm used to being lied about. Uh, it's something which has happened to me a lot in my time in journalism since I started expressing unpopular opinions. I got used to the fact that most people won't argue with you. But this rubbish about denying COVID mm, uh, is particularly annoying. And people are constantly accusing me of, 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 of giving misinformation. And I say again and again, when this is charges level against me on Twitter, okay, uh, give me the reference direct quotation, show me why it's misinformation. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, currently, this whole business, of, uh, return for a moment to the business of masks, the, the huge dad mask report, thousands of people for many weeks wore masks under supervision, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a huge experiment, which then vanished without trace because three major medical journals wouldn't publish the results. Eventually, after some adjustments had been made to it, uh, it was published by a fourth journal. But it clearly says, and, it, 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 and it's, it's absolutely un, unavoidable when you read, that there was no significant, no statistically significant difference in the outcome of infection between those who wore the masks and those who didn't. And that, that was the position we were in before. There has never been any hard experimental work showing that these that these masks do any good. 
the loose the loose cloth ones. The loose cloth are, ones in particular, because there are those there are those Peter who will argue um, that yes, of course, uh, masks work because people wear them in operating theatres. But those are very different masks, and they well, are worn under very different circumstances. And I have to tell you that there are doctors who say, that, frankly, this is this is really done to comfort the patients. The the evidence of its effectiveness is pretty thin. Mm. Uh, but but even and the dentists did there was a fascinating. This is another fascinating aspect of the nineteen eighty four that we live in. Uh, the, the dental industry, long before this was controversial, did a study of the effectiveness of masks. And, of course, dentists do a lot of mask wearing. And they've, they found, again, that the evidence for its use is pretty sketchy. Well, that report, which used to be readily available on the Internet, disappeared from its position. You have to hunt mm. with real skill and determination to find it now. And this is increasingly common. Stuff that on the Internet that, that tells a different story from the official party line on COVID is, uh, is increasingly hard to find. And mm. though we don't have government state censorship, we definitely do have a form of censorship and suppression no, of the there's truth. No, there's no question. I mean, talking of dentists, I mean, I always liked the idea that dentists wore a mask because I once had a dentist who didn't wear a mask and he didn't have very nice breath. And when he came very close to me, I used to think, I wish, for heaven's sake, that you were wearing a mask. But, you know, we are asked to wear masks here at News UK when we come into the building. We are asked to wear them in communal areas. I do that because that's what we are asked to do in order to come to work. That's not a problem for me. Um, but what I won't be told to do is wear a mask walking around in the street in the open air, because apart from anything else, we have an advert currently running uh, on talk radio in which it says, open the windows to blow the coronavirus away, right? So if you're blowing the coronavirus away by opening a window, how is it dangerous to walk around outside without a mask on? Well, quickly, I, I recommend another thing from the Mail on Sunday, a fascinating column by, by my fellow columnist, Alexandra Shulman, uh, about her partner uh, having a great panic after going for a walk with somebody who later tested positive. Right. And the lot long period of isolation during which he eventually got a test but showed he hadn't got it mm. in the open air but you say you won't do it i wouldn't be at all surprised if this third shutdown were not accompanied because this has happened in, in many uh, other countries were not accompanied by demands that people wore these muzzles outside all the time despite the the the, the, the obvious idiocy of it and don't be surprised because it, all this is about and it has been about since it began is politics is about continuing the level of fear, which enables the government to use Chinese-type totalitarian methods. And I, again, the other thing that I, it's, it, I remember, we used to get really quite exercised about the suppression of dissent in the Soviet Union, in Soviet Russia, uh, the, 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 um, the, the, the use of the abuse of psychiatry, the, the brutal uh, trials of, of, of dissidents like uh, Daniel Sinyavsky and, and all the rest of them who were bunged off to camps in the Urals. And, but this happens in China all the time. We don't even notice this last week. A citizen journalist who'd exposed things in Wuhan that the Chinese state didn't want to hear appeared in, appeared in a court that most people couldn't get into. So we, uh, it's, it's only, we only have second-hand reports of what happened. Uh, she'd been on hunger strike. Uh, she, she'd, uh, she, 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 she'd been forced she'd been forcibly fed uh, and had her hands restrained so she couldn't remove the forcible feeding. Apparently uh, she appeared in court in a, in a wheelchair uh, with her hair cropped uh, and was sent after a trial lasting hours, a so-called trial, uh, off to the Chinese gulag. It, you have to search in British newspapers for this, but this is the country we're copying uh, in our methods well, and trying you, yes, I mean, you referred in your column to Neil Ferguson, a man who, in my view, shouldn't be anywhere near advising the government after his debacle of earlier in the year when he was meant to have left government before he was discovered to have been part of this new uh, nerve guard or whatever the hell it's called. Um, he, as you said, quite rightly, said, oh, we'd love to do that, but we couldn't get away with it. 
and then they and then they saw what happened initially, and they they realized they could. Hmm. So I'm not I'm not as hostile to Professor Ferguson as you are. If if if, if people want to listen to him as a uh, as a range of experts, that's fine by me. Uh, but they should listen to other people, and I repeatedly say they should listen to Professor Sinatra Gupta uh, in in Oxford, mm. the professor of epidemiology, who who seems to me to talk uh, more sense than he does. But she's almost totally excluded from this a nerve tag uh, sage uh, zone. She's she has, I think, once or twice been asked by an astonished government, who, as so often happens when anybody in the official world or the official or semi-official media comes across dissent. They gaze in total shock uh, at the, the, the mere experience of, of hearing a contrary view. But they don't pay any attention to it. Uh, what we need is a is a is a is a, a resage uh, in which in which people who dissent from this view are allowed to speak and are listened to, yes. and ministers who are prepared to listen to them, and a leader of the opposition who opposes the government. Uh, and also, can we out, out Herod, Herod. And also, could we please call for a halt if we can do anything this year to the almost ridiculous hysteria over the occupation of ICU beds? The Sunday Times again this week did a great um, public service. They got from NHS England the entire list of hospital ICU bed occupation in by percentage for every single hospital. Now, the first, I would say, kind of. Um, Four pages out of 14. Yes, the numbers are up in the 90 percentage area, right? But once you get below 50% of them, so like from this page 7 to 14, you get places like Stockport NHS Foundation Trust. Average number of ICU beds, 13. Percentage full, 68. You get to um, somewhere like Sheffield Teaching Hospitals, NHS Foundation Trust, 118 uh, ICU beds, 63% occupied. These are not figures that suggest to me that they're being overwhelmed. Of course, and, and, and hospitals run a quite elaborate and, and, and rather rather well well directed system for making sure that uh, where where ICU beds are under strain, patients can be moved to to others where necessary, which is is also the good. Mm. The capacity is is obviously under some stretch. Let's not say it's not, but it's not stretched to the point of collapse, and it, it is wrong for the government to act and to and to and to issue measures as if it was so. And it's great to see the Sunday Times doing that kind of journalism. But again, we've been missing it for so many months. So little questioning of what we're being told. Mm. Uh, Why bother even having a totalitarian country where people are flung into the gulag for for active and inconvenient reporting? Uh, If if, if your journalists don't ask, the old Humbert Wolf rhyme, thank God you cannot bribe or twist the honest British journalist to see what the man will do and bribe, there's no occasion to. Mm. We, we, we just sit there like nodding dogs. They go, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And ridiculous so-called press conferences, which which nobody ever raises a difficult question. Uh, day after day at Downing Street are a, are a disgrace again. On, well, on, on, I'm, on I've, I've got some good news for you on that front because my understanding is that later on this month, possibly as early as next week, um, the new kind of Allegra Stratonified um, sort of White House style press briefing is going to kick in, uh, complete with the sort of flashbang new technology that they're going to brief. <laughs> we're going to brief everybody from a brand new place. Oh, well, great. I'm sure that'll make a huge. I, I did actually at one stage attend White House press briefings in my long check. Yeah, I did a couple of those. Yeah, I was quite career. excited to be and in that I, little I, room. I, I have to say, the problem with them was the pecking order, status. Uh, very, you know, the Washington Post and, uh, and NBC and so on got in first. Yeah, uh, and and you only get one question. And the press conferences are actually a means of manipulating journalists. What they want is mm. to get on TV. Uh, so if they get a question, that's it. That's their job done. Mm. Uh, but they can't ask a follow-up, 
and their their colleagues will never follow up the question of a previous person. The only way to get anywhere with uh, with press conferences is, is ones where is ones where expert journalists are allowed to press home their questions over and over again mm-hmm. to supplementaries, which very rarely happens. And unless that happens, it won't be any use. There's also the simple fact that ever since the age of Alistair Campbell, uh, almost all political lobby journalists live in a kind of uh, in a kind of harem. Yes. Uh, where their freedom to operate ultimately depends on on their good relations with the government of the day. No, of so course. you work out how that's going to affect coverage. Well, also, you, you, you say about the White House press briefings, but it would be exactly the same if you described the ones here, where, you know, the first question almost inevitably goes to the BBC, the next one goes to ITV, the next one goes to Sky. Uh, no matter where you start, that always seems to be uh, the result. But I'm told, I didn't see it, unfortunately, last night. It was a bit late for me, Peter, but I'm told you were on Sky last night, um, terrifying, the, uh, the, terrifying the hosts uh, on, well, uh, on, on the paper review. <laughs> I hope she wasn't terrified. But I, the, the, the fact is, it's, it is there is so little dissent on TV and radio. Yeah. But most hosts, when they're confronted with it, they they they, they do look around. They panic. Well, they just panic. What's going on here? <laughs> How is this happening? Uh, but there you are. They, they were very persistent about asking me on. So I said, OK, well, here I am. And, uh, and, and let's... Uh, <laughs> well, let's see if let's they do, keep... Let's do some journalism. Let's see if they do it as a regular thing. But, uh, but I'm, I'm delighted that we're still doing it here at Talk Radio. We plan to continue to do it until we get out of this mess, right? If you're willing to help out. Um, and I think if we can continue with our um, relentless campaign, we'll surely win in the end. Uh, don't be too sure. It, it, it's, if, if you're planning to do it that long, it could be a very long time. <laughs> we could be broadcasting for the old folks home together. Well, it could well be. It could well be. But listen, Peter, great to see you again. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we're out of time, but we'll see you this time next week. Peter Hitchens, uh, Mail on Sunday columnist, great raconteur. And bizarrely, now, much more back in the mainstream since we've been talking to him uh, than he's ever been in terms of broadcast journalism. Uh, So I'm very, very happy to have played my part in that, as I'm sure all of you have as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us welcome Dr. Lawrence Gurlis into the first show of the year. Very happy New Year to you, Lawrence, and uh, welcome yeah. back. Well, yeah, happy New Year to you, Mike. I have to say, everything has changed since I last saw you. Yes, everything. I'm sure that's true. This is why we wanted to talk to you, because yeah. we always get from you, Lawrence, a kind of a, an idea of what's going on uh, on Main Street, as it were. So, so tell yeah. us what you're seeing. Well, if you remember, I've been very optimistic. A few concerns back in March and April. Then September, when they were having problems up north, we were doing fine in London. I said there wouldn't be a second wave. What's happened since mid-December? This new variant, this new virus has gone crazy, like wildfire. I would estimate it's something like 10 to 20 times more contagious than the original virus. Now, if you think about that, it should change all of your strategies because what, what the government are now doing is reacting as if it's the same virus mm. with the same low infectivity. So they're saying more lockdown, more tier four. The, this virus is so contagious, unless you're going to lock down with troops on the street holding guns, as soon as you lift that lockdown, the virus is going to spread. Uh, and even if you lock down completely, it's going to spread. It is so contagious. It makes a nonsense of going into secondary schools and doing mass testing because you're going to find it. Hmm. It's there. You know, we were seeing almost no cases September, October, November. We are now seeing cases every day. People walking into our clinic, asymptomatic, 
but they have the virus. And this, this new thing is so contagious that I think we should rethink everything because the reality is we should just let this spread and then no one's going to need a vaccine in a month's time, quite frankly, right. because it's going, to, it's going to be everywhere. Well, that was going to be my next question, because if people are walking into your, um, your clinics, right, presumably to get a test, even though yeah. they don't have any symptoms, yeah. presumably they're not in any difficulty. No, we well, we try to screen people. We say you don't come in symptoms or recent travel or whatever. But it's real infection. As you know, I've been saying for a long time, well, the, the positive test isn't the case. No, this is real infection now and it does spread. And people are being sent home to isolate. We've ruined the Christmases of a lot of people by saying you just got to, you know, isolate for 10 days. Um, but the sheer numbers that have changed between mid-December and now it is something to behold. It really is quite frightening. Mm. And it, as I say, it makes me think we should be rethinking all strategy. You can have tier four, tier five, tier six, if you like. But quite frankly, it's not going to make any difference. There's, there are going to be some people that break the, whatever lockdown you've got anyway. And as soon as you lift it, um, you know, you're talking about February half term. As soon as you lift it, you're going to be back to where you are. And one thing we know about all the lockdowns, all they've ever done is kick the can down the yeah. road. Well, they've I said I said ever... to, to somebody over the course of the weekend, because we were just chatting about the way uh, forward and what the next level of strategy could be. And the only certainty, the only thing we can say with really any great certainty is that all the lockdowns that we've had up to now haven't really done any good. No, exactly. And in fact, now that we've got this new virus, I'm thinking we should have not locked down back in March and April. Mm. We should have allowed, you know, Patrick Valance said it. He talked about herd immunity then, you know, protect the vulnerable, protect the elderly. Children don't get COVID, by the way. Even if they've got the virus, they don't get symptoms. They're very unlikely to spread it to adults, very unlikely. So the whole school thing is a bit of a nonsense. We should have let the virus build up herd immunity in March, April, because now we're in a situation where not enough of the of the country has immunity and they're all susceptible to this new variant. But if, uh, if for example, let me ask you this question, because some, some people have asked me to ask you this. Um, if you were um, infected with the original COVID, um, can you still now get infected with the new variant? It seems no is the answer. You, the, the immunity is the same. It's, it's similar enough. People with antibodies are not getting reinfected. We may have seen one case of a very mild um, infection in, in March and a very mild infection in December, but no one that's had to sort of go to bed mm. for a week on both occasions. Right. So the, the immunity you picked up in March will protect you uh, from this this new variant. Right. What about the vaccine then? Because does the vaccine that people are receiving currently then cover both, whether you have the original or you have the, the or you, whether you get the new variant? It would seem the vaccine does protect you against both types, yes. So, right. so I don't think there's any concern in that direction. Right. Now, you're but, quite quite bold in what you've just said, though, Dr Lawrence, because a lot of MPs particularly uh, have used this terrible phrase, which I detest, you know, you just want to let it rip, which is never anything that anybody wanted yeah. to do. But what you're suggesting, effectively, is exactly that, isn't it? Yeah, I, that may sound terribly irresponsible. Look, I don't want people to die... Um, we know that there are some younger people who in ITUs, we've got to certainly look after the care homes. We've got to make sure the hospitals have got the resources. But I, I really think that allow it to spread among the young people, to, you know, keep the schools open, mm. allow a bit of herd immunity among young adults. You know, if we get to 30, 40% herd immunity, 
the virus would be on the way out, even before we we've we've given out you know enough doses of the vaccine. Look, but by end of March we should have vaccinated a lot of people, but between mid February and the end of March, I still think there are a lot of people that are vulnerable, uh, and I think we should allow the the virus to spread and develop a decent herd immunity. Yeah, I think um, more and more people, though, should be saying this and more and more people could surely realise that all of this, as you say, has not stopped the spread because the new no. variant. I mean, one of the things that, that I've also been asked is why on earth, if the new variant came from South Africa and we know that it came from South Africa, are we still allowing people to fly into this country from South Africa without even being tested on arrival or before well, they leave? The whole flight thing has, has been shut. I, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I haven't I haven't been on holiday since uh, last February. I haven't left the country. Mm. I, I'm seeing everyday people that are flying off to uh, exotic places, getting these PCR tests uh, and people flying back in. I've never understood. You know, you must remember back in February, March, with flights coming in from Italy every day. Yeah. Um, when, when Italy was the epicenter of European COVID. We've never really addressed that issue. Uh, you know, if you look at what the rules are on the tier four, you are not allowed to travel. But we're seeing every day people are coming into us saying, oh, I'm off to the Bahamas. I'm off to Dubai. Um, can I have a PCR test? I'm going to the States. So I think international travel has has been ignored for, for whatever reason people have chosen that. And, and that's that's been a mistake. But having said that, and I'm, I'm not sure, did, didn't the, the new Kent variant come out at about, about the same time as the South Africa variant? I'm not sure they're one and the same. Um, my brother lives in Kent and I'm blaming him and other people down in Whitstable <laughs> for, the, for the, 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 the Kent variant. Well, the Kent I, variant, I was under the impression, began uh, up in northern Kent and the people in southern Kent yeah, were not happy yeah. about the fact that they no, were in tier right. four because it happened right. to be that a couple of hospitals uh, up near the sort of north Kent coast uh, were, were, were seeing an increase in numbers. But down in places like sort of, you know, rural Tunbridge Wells and around those areas where hardly anybody lives, you know, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Now, I, I, I think this is this was a UK variant. I, can't, I don't want to blame the South Africans. I think it was a London southeast counties, um, and we had done so well. We didn't get that wave in September and October they had up in Manchester mm. and Liverpool, uh, and so we were a ripe breeding ground for a, a new variant to come along, little mutation, and now it's it's spreading everywhere. Uh, and I'm not sure we can do anything to fight it. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure closing schools is not going to make any difference. Uh, and I think we should actually start opening things up again, but tell people to be sensible uh, and you know, let's monitor it. Uh, give the NHS the resources to treat the, the seriously ill patients. It's a, it's a very bad flu. I'm not saying it's just flu. It's a very bad flu. It's a very strange virus with very strange and long-lasting effects. But we've lost this battle. And lockdowns haven't mm. worked. We've lost it. I mean, and and I, I know and you're spe and you're speaking not as someone who wants to make sure that the economy doesn't die. You're speaking as a medical professional. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because you're saying effectively that the government's policy will never work now. Absolutely, it will never work. The only thing that can happen is by the end of March, we may have vaccinated enough people to suppress this, uh, or this this herd immunity would have built up. From where it is now, five to ten percent to say twenty or thirty percent. No, we we can't win this battle. Mm. It's unwinnable. This virus is too clever. It's outwitted us. And, and you know, it's, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if you told me, Mike, 
that this was a man-made virus because the effects I've seen, I would believe it because I have never seen anything like mm. it. You know, it's the Novichok of viruses. Yeah. And, is this, so and, is this, and is this new variant, which sounds to me from what you're saying, not going to be the only new variant that we see, um, is it everywhere now or is it just in Britain? It doesn't, I don't seem to hear much, many reports about it being anywhere else. We've exported it in small numbers. Um, you know, there are people picking up cases in France and Sweden and so on, but it's mainly in the UK and still but why, mainly... But why is that then? Why have we got a new variant and nobody else has? I don't know. I, I, I just don't think we've, we've, uh, we've spread it fast enough yet. I think the other countries are, are going to be following... I think don't forget. No, no, I'm not. No, no, I get that. What I'm saying is, why us? Yeah. You know, why, why Britain has got it, and say Germany doesn't, or Italy doesn't, or India doesn't? Because I think it started here, but it didn't start till mid-December. And it's only the fourth of January. We're only we're only two or three weeks into this new phase. Yeah, and it's it's it, so it's relatively early. It hasn't even spread up up north yet. It's mainly in the in London, the south, but mm. it, it is going to spread. You can't stop it. You, you know, this is. Um, a, a really, really severe virus yeah. and highly contagious. But again, people have said from Sage that they're not sure that it's any more dangerous than the original. So uh, while it may spread faster, it won't be any more, um, shall we say, deadly. I would be inclined to agree with that. And in fact, if it's infecting younger, healthier people, we're going to see a lower case fatality mm. rate than before. I've no reason to believe it's more deadly. I was hoping when we first saw this, that maybe it's a spreadable but less deadly form. But I think it's it's very similar. Yeah. And you can see what's happening in hospital. The hospitals are overloaded, not the paediatric hospitals. Let's be clear about that. There's no evidence that the paediatric units are overloaded. But the, the ITUs are very busy. Well, I've got an entire list here, you'll be glad to know, Dr Lawrence, because yeah. I like to do my research, uh, which is from NHS England, all about the various different occupancy rates of hospitals up and down the country. And it's correct to say, out of the 14 pages of data that I have here, um, the first, shall we say, one, two, three, four pages are around about 90% and up full okay but as we go yeah. down through the list and below the bottom half it gets down to sort of 70 percent 60 percent 50 percent 40 percent and an awful lot of these icu units are don't have very many beds either queen victoria hospital nhs foundation trust 53 percent full they've only got six beds in the first place right yeah. uh, you've got Torbay in south devon nhs foundation trust 10 beds uh 56 full you know so what i'm saying is is that yes there are certain areas of britain which have got high occupancy which is not unusual for this time of year uh, no. but there are also others that don't it is normal for this time of year you're right one of the big problems in hospitals is staff shortages yeah. because of people needing to isolate because of uh of contact but again i think we should be moving um you know if someone's got antibodies against covid they should be allowed to to treat COVID patients, mm. we're, we're sending people off work for too long. Um, if they've got some immunity, they should be back at work uh, and they should be looking after patients pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I'm so pleased that you've come up with a plan, uh, Dr. Lawrence. Yeah. Do you know whether there are any other medical bodies um, who would kind of go along with what you've said or can you drag them towards this particular idea? Well, there are a lot of people out there that are in the still, still in the sort of COVID denier, not so much COVID denier, but, you know, the tests are false positive, that camp, that we're overreacting. I'm not in that camp anymore. I, I, I mean, I used to be. I now think this is a nasty virus. Uh, and I think if, we, if I can pull some of those people 
away from that position to say, come on, let's let's get some herd immunity now. Let's do what Patrick Barrett said back in March, get some herd immunity, get 30, 40% of the population protected. Yeah. That is, and at the same time, speed up the vaccination. So between the two of them, we'll have 70, 80% of the population covered. By Easter, we can all get back to normal. Yes, that would be brilliant. I mean, I should say to you, Dr. Lawrence, my daughter came to visit me from Dubai. She got COVID just before she came. Uh, she had to self-isolate, got a negative test, was able to come to this country. You know, she told me that she was really ill. She's a young woman, yeah. 30 years of yeah. age. You know, um, people make yeah. the mistake of thinking that here at Talk Radio, uh, we are somehow denying the existence of this disease. No. We are certainly not doing that. No. Uh, she tells me that even now uh, she finds it a bit difficult um, uh, with with shortness of breath and, and she doesn't yeah. run at the moment because she doesn't feel like she can run. Yeah. You know, and that's a good month after she got it and she's fit. Yeah, it's a horrible virus, but we've lost the battle and all the lockdowns in the world are, are no more than cosmetic, making yeah. you think you're doing something. Yeah. Um, but with a combination of people breaking lockdowns and the fact that you have to lift it at some point, I, I think we're just, as I say, kicking the can down the road, mm. delaying the inevitable. Yeah. Good to talk to you, Dr. Lawrence Gurlis. Thank you very much indeed. GP at Same Day Doctor. Massive, massive injection there of common sense. You don't hear this anywhere else. He's a GP, right? He is a bona fide doctor. He said that the case of COVID fighting it is lost. We've already lost it. The new COVID uh, variant is so um, spreadable that you can't stop it spreading. So in that case, surely it's time for the government to rethink the strategy that they have. Surely it's time to absolutely listen to people like Dr. Lawrence Gurlis and stop trying to stop the unstoppable. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. First show of the new year. Uh, a brand new show. A brand new year. Uh, we are going to be positive here at Talk Radio. We believe there is a way out uh, of this crisis, but we don't believe the way out of this crisis right now here at the Independent Republic uh, is to make it even worse for people who can't go out, who can't see their family, who can't see their relatives, who can't go to work who aren't able to make any money the answer is not to make that more difficult for them all of those things it really isn't let's go back to the phones though vicky is in manchester hi vicky hi mike you okay yeah very well indeed you're a teacher yeah yes i am secondary school teacher okay what's your school's uh, situation um so we are just in the same situation as everybody else we've got to do remote learning to all years uh, this week and then hopefully from next week we can get the exam students back in right um so that's where we're at at the moment okay and whose advice is that is that the local councils or is the schools made that decision that's the government advice that's the government advice that's being followed at the moment that there's uh, no the exam students don't come back until next week but it should be remote learning for everybody okay. else what do you make of this uh, the union claim that teachers are frightened to go into school well, the thing is, is that since the beginning, I think everybody's frightened to go anywhere, aren't they, first of all? That's been the same since March. Um, from September, I know, I can tell you firsthand from my personal experience and just knowing other people in the profession, that schools have gone unbelievably above and beyond to make the places as safe as they can be for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, and the students have been so happy and staff have been happy. We've been enjoying each other's company. You know, some of us have been trying to teach from home since March. I personally had a two and a five-year-old at home. The whole time I was trying to teach live was a nightmare. Mm. And we just were so happy to be back in. Um, I think everybody is trying so, so hard, so hard. 
And it, what's been a real, real kick in the teeth this weekend have been uh, the media coverage and demonising teachers, basically, for what currently going on. Yeah. I think it's absolutely disgusting. No, the I agree. Of, I agree with we, that. We feel so saddened by it all. Why? Why are they doing this? Well, do you know what it is, though, Vicky? It's because the people who claim to represent teachers get airtime all the time from uh, from people on radio and from people uh, on uh, television and they, they look for representatives of teaching unions and that's what they get and their story uh, is teachers are frightened to go back to work and their narrative which they sell the media is that teachers don't want to go back to work. I mean let's be honest you know uh, I, I heard uh, lovely Julia speaking this morning who I've got a lot of time for uh, some of the things she was coming out with this morning, I have to say, uh, it did uh, make my blood boil a little. Uh, comparing teachers to Amazon workers and mm. things like that, you know, I mean, come on. Um, the, you know, the average teacher, and this is our profession, and we've chosen to go into this profession and we know what it's about, but the average teacher has five lessons a day, 32 children in the class. You're talking the scene, spending five hours at least a day in a room with 160 different students, mm. okay? Now, that goes against every bit of government advice we've had all the way through about spending time with big groups and social distancing and, you know... Well, except, except that they're children, you know. right? And the government advice previously has been that children don't get it. No, the government advice... Well, I'm talking about primary school, maybe, younger years, maybe, but yeah. secondary school... We only have to look at our own data from school and you look at the amount of children that come on the list every morning who might be isolating or have tested positive. Uh, October, November was a big peak, as mm. it was everywhere else, but we saw it. We saw cases of students, you know, lots yeah. of cases, and it went up and it came down. And the thing is, is that their families, you know, we don't know who they're actually mixing. We don't know if they're following well, the rules don't. either. But it was interesting what Dr Lawrence Gurlis said, I think, Vicky, about how, you know, this is a virus which is going to keep spreading. I mean, my own uh, 13-year-old, his school, they've had a few teachers get it. They've had a few uh, um, students get it. They've taken time out. People have been sent off home to isolate because they were in close proximity with them. None of them have been particularly ill, though. And I wonder whether we're just looking at this the wrong way and saying, look, you know, yes, if you could get a vaccine, for example, as a teacher, that would be a help. If you're going to be off for two weeks, why don't they organise vaccines for teachers? Why don't they organise for kids to go back to school after you've all been vaccinated? Oh, bring, bring the vaccine on, seriously. If it was offered, if somebody was to come to our school and say, right, we're going to, um, va we're going to vaccinate, we're going to take 20 people a week and start it rolling out and things like that, or whatever... We absolutely all we want to do is be in school doing our normal day-to-day -day job, or, you know, as as best we possibly can. I, I can't even the remote learning and teaching is horrible. I know, it's horrible, and it's and no good for the kids either. It's terrific for the students. I mean, bless them. First of all, we're assuming, aren't we, that every single student five hours a day can access a computer right. and the internet? You know, so it. Just, it's just not fair all around. It's not fair on anybody. No. But what, what the thing was I was mentioning um, earlier was I just really, really detest the way that teachers have been painted over this yeah. weekend by the media. And the unions, I mean, look, I pay my union fees every month and they're not cheap, £16 a month. Right. Luckily, I've not had to use them so far. You which, know, union, myself, which union are you in, Vicky? I'm in the NAS. So okay. little different to the NEU, and right. th there's reasons I joined the NES over the NEU. That, you are know, you happy with um, what? Are you happy with how they're representing you in the media? 
Um, the NAS have been quieter, I think. Um, they well, are tell them to do their job and get out there and speak for you. That's what you should be doing. Well, I know, and they are they are contacting the schools. I know our school has had contact from the NAS, and they are writing to all schools to talk about safeguarding health and safety procedures for teachers and things like that. But what I really detest is is being told not to do something. Mm. I like you know, and 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 I think I think as well. I feel like the unions have gone a little bit above us in this. We've yeah. not had any surveys, consultations, polls, anything like that. It was straight away, we, we, you, you should refuse to go in. It is not safe for you. Right. And there's just, I don't know what, you know, there's too much, there's too much, too much information coming at you. There really is. Yeah. I just don't, I don't like the fact that the tea, it's been, I think um, the, the chat this morning that prompted me to call in, um, was saying that teachers are holding the government to ransom. It was literally, I screamed in the car. Yeah. I, I really did. Well, listen, here's my best piece of advice for you, Vicky. Get onto your union, tell them to get in touch with us. We'll give your point of view and we'll be uh, honest with them and we'll ask them straight questions and we'll get straight answers, hopefully. Vicky, thanks very much for your call. Always good to hear from people on the front line and what they actually believe as opposed to what the unions tell us they believe. And that's the reason why uh, some people in the media will be attacking teachers because teachers have had an awful lot of time off this year, haven't they? Let's face it, my kids were off school for something like seven months. You know, they never saw a teacher. Never mind look at one uh, in the face. Never mind online. They never saw one. Simple as that. Never saw their friends either. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.